I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Almost Famous. In the first series of the podcast, I spoke to guests who also grew up with famous family members and discussed how it affected their journeys through life. In series two, I want to explore the subject of fame more directly by talking to people who've experienced it themselves and asking them how it has affected their own journey as well as the lives of those around them. My guest today is television and radio presenter Max Rushton. Max was one of the presenters of Sky Sports Soccer AM for seven years alongside Helen Chamberlain. He has also hosted Sky's Premier League Prediction Show and Fantasy Football Club as well as Call Yourself a Fan on BT Sport. On radio, Max has made a name for himself presenting shows for BBC Radio 5 Live and Talk Sport as well as being the host of The Guardian's Football Weekly Podcast. He is, of course, also the voice of Gaviscon. According to Max's website, Julian Clary once described him as young and frisky and a cheerful, handsome man. So I'd like to give a huge and cheerfully frisky, almost famous hello to Max Rushton. Max, how are you? Hello. Yeah, really good. Thank you. Uh, just before we get into I always like to ask uh, what you thought of your intro. Before we do, I have to say, uh, as I always do, the podcast is recorded at Factory Studios in London. This is called the Podcast Lounge. And if you guys want to make a podcast, but you don't have somewhere to make it, do contact them at factory.uk.com. It's a lovely room. It's really nice. It's one of my favourite of the rooms I've been in today, right, which includes my bedroom, my living room, the gym, Mm. uh, and a cafe down my street, and another cafe down my street. It's in your top six. It's one of my favourite, yeah. All of our guests do say it's a lovely room. Do get in contact with them, guys. But uh, Max, like I said, your intro, did I miss anything out? Did I cover everything? <laughs> no, I just just running through a selection of TV shows that are no longer on or are <laughs> living by their last legs. Now I think you pretty much, you got everything covered there. Yeah. Uh, we did meet actually first on Call Yourself a Fan, yeah. which was a strange BT Sport quiz, really strange. quiz show between yeah. sets of fans. Yeah. Uh, we had a bit a bit of a chat after that, but I also kind of have to address something because I uh, just to show how mortifyingly embarrassing I can be to myself. I actually contacted Max during the first series of this podcast. Yes, um, because I'd seen something online where it suggested that he was Willie Rushton's son or grandson. Grandson, yeah. Uh, so I said, "Is that true? Uh, do you want to come on the show?" And he was like, "No, it's not true." And I had to <laughs> send a very awkward apologize um, apology. So text. yeah, I said on the radio once. No, I think someone had tweeted me going, "How have you got any work? You're so shit." <laughs> and I said, "I'm Willie Rushton's grandson, and you know, it's it's all that's the only way you make it in this industry." And then it got added to my Wikipedia. And obviously, Wikipedia is quite a fun place. Like at at one time on Wikipedia, I was simultaneously dating Louis Walsh okay. and a member of the British National Party. <laughs> you know, which is quite interesting because I, I presume, and I haven't really done much research. I presume the BNP is quite a homophobic 
organisation. I, I, mean, I, don't I would make that assumption I, as well. I don't think they'll sue this podcast, <laughs> but if they do, it's, it's my fault. So I, I, I didn't see how that really tallied up, that I was going out with Louis Walsh and, and you know, a, a sort of far-right fascist. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Wikipedia's a funny place, but I, I, I'm not related to Willie Rushton. In fact, I was born Max Rubenstein and aged six or seven. Like, my dad was Jewish, but not... Practicing. You're so sarcastic that I'm not even sure no, if this, this is, is true. true. This is genuinely, <laughs> right. genuinely true. Uh, about six or seven, so we was my dad was Jewish, my mum's not Jewish, so therefore I'm not Jewish because it goes to the mother's side. But I think we got some death threats or something weird, and my dad was like, well, there's no point. We're not Jewish, let's not have a Jewish name. So he changed it to Rushton. So it's complete manufactured surname. And you were seven, so you remember that. Do you, does that was that not a really weird... Time? I mean, I don't remember the. I don't remember oh, right. the that they didn't. I got no death threats. But, <laughs> you, but you don't remember when you were, you know, you were old at seven. You're old enough to write. So you do you remember what it was like to have to change your surname and not really understand why? I mean, vaguely. I don't really. I don't really recall it being very stressful. Right. My my dad or my sister had a handkerchief with R embroidered on it, so they decided it right. had to begin with R. <laughs> and then my dad did this joke forever that he said he put a pin in the phone book, but he put it in the business. You remember the phone book used to yeah. be business well, and residential. As in, not the yellow... Oh, so we're talking like about... The old yeah, phone book. The old, like the, like old, the blue... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. for younger listeners will mean yeah. nothing, but uh, he said he put a pin in the phone book, but put it in business, and, and it, he stuck it in Ready Mix, which would have been a really great... <laughs> Max Ready Mix would have been really... I'd be much more successful. Yeah. Um, I don't remember it being strange or weird. I think you're probably young enough to just... Over it. But it's nice when you get one of those emails or letters that says, we can trace your family, the Rushton family, back 400 years. And I'll say, look, well, good luck getting past 1986 because well, frankly, if you, exist. if you were Max Rubenstein, it would have saved me from an embarrassing email <laughs> exchange. So uh, that would have been way better. Um, Max, I always start with the same question. Yeah. Uh, are you famous? Do you yourself think Max Rushton... In the, <laughs> I mean, you work in sports, so you should talk about yourself in the third person. But of course. is Max Rushton famous? Well, if you want any you know, perspective on it. When I came into this wonderful, well, the reception to this r- mm-hmm. wonderful room, the <laughs> nice lady who's just bought me a coffee, I said, I'm here to do this podcast with Barnaby. And she said, are you Matt? And I said, <laughs> close enough. So I don't think so. I mean, I think it's a weird word. I think it's a fascinating subject, actually, um, because because of the number of people that want to be famous, for fame's sake, and I guess I don't know if I ever wanted to be, but I suppose given given what I chose to go into, to be successful in it, you'd have to have an an, an element of it. Mm-hmm. But I certainly don't. Listen, there are places where I get recognised, football grounds, yeah. uh, the darts at Ali Pali. That was I made that mistake once. Right. But otherwise, you've seen me in cafes, like no one. There are actual famous people in London, right? So if, if you are, you know, if, you, if you're wandering around doing your day, someone might say hello. Yeah. But that's about it. So you mentioned there, um, going into what you've gone into, you kind of aware that that would potentially, if successful, which you have been, uh, involve some semblance of fame. Uh, done a bit of prep. You yeah. said, apparently, that you wanted to be Des Lynam, aged eight. Yeah. So that's in keeping with what you've gone into. True. So I think that's not necessarily down to wanting to be famous. But you also said that when you started your early broadcasting uh, radio career, you kind of had some kind of, you felt 
whether by choice or not, that you were becoming or trying to be a Radio 1 DJ of some sort. Yeah. And then also I heard that you did a, a Blue Peter screen test. Yeah. So I would argue potentially that especially those last two are kind of erring on the side of, of you know, very potentially very fame bringing jobs. Yeah, I guess so. I, I, so I it's, never, it's never scared you, the idea of it, I guess. No, not at all. It's it's, But I've never taken it seriously. But I've never been... I don't think I've ever been at a level of fame where it would actually genuinely affect your day-to-day existence you know there's never been anyone uh sort of with a a camera outside my front door um i suppose which which shows you haven't got into enough scandals well exactly i was i was packed in the daily mail once right um but that wasn't me that was who i was with and i'm happy to get into that tell us more tell Um, us more of course so so i I usually save the scandal question until towards the end that's fine you're you're looking like you want to tell us go for it it's just a funny story I, I, there's a, an actress came on Soccer AM called Jessica Lowndes and she was in 90210, the new one, not yeah, the old yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. So I confess I wasn't. It wasn't Shannon Doherty. It wasn't Shannon Doherty, no, <laughs> no, no. Um, and uh, I confess I wasn't a, a, a sort of avid viewer of this, but she seemed very nice. Um, and we got chatting after the show and she said, oh, you know, I'm doing this gig tonight do you want to come? And I was like, well, yeah, I, I was single. I had nothing to do. Like a theatre? No, like a, she was a singer, actress oh, and a oh, singer. Right, so it. she, but it, it, you know, she was this, it was like a T4 channel four thing. And it was very stop start. And there were just lots of kids there. And I took a mate and eventually we were just like, nah, look, I can't be bothered to hang around. So <laughs> I think we went home. I think I got a McDonald's and then she texted me going, Hey, we're going to this Chinese restaurant in, um, uh, in, in town do you want to come and I was like I should really right and there were like 25 people at this restaurant and there was one chair opposite her I'd been out all day like a friend of mine she was having this kind of hen do just everyone turn up so I'd been drinking all day and and I so I was pretty drunk so I was more charming than I normally am and or at least I thought, you thought you were yeah, more exactly, charming yeah. than you were. Really I thought I was, but it, yeah. it seemed to be going very well. And she was sort of very, she was finding me amusing, which is rare. And she was quite tactile. And then we started talking about music, which is not an area of expertise for me. And she said, Do you know this song? And I said, I don't know this song. No. She went, Have you got, you know, have you got YouTube on your phone? I was like, Yeah, yeah, sure. So I handed her my phone. Oh, God. She pressed internet oh god and it was a picture of her face <laughs> because i'd obviously <laughs> been in the pub with my friends saying, your mate. look who i'm going to go and see later and i was like wow that was just one of those moments where you were like oh can i can i can i take this phone and throw out the window in enough time and she found it funny anyway did you did you then have to very quickly just uh make something up or did you choose to just go full honesty and hope for the I best i just went full honesty yeah. went you know fair enough but anyway so so sort of very convoluted period of time where we never really dated or anything and she was like being she was constantly being ch- this is actually the closest I've probably been to seeing this kind of world yeah, where yeah. you'd be at dinner and then like Steve Jones would turn up you know the sort of yes. very dashing Welsh now Formula One host. yeah and then there was another where sort of Lee Ryan from Blue arrived and I was like this is totally ludicrous right because she's just, friends with them or they're chatting I her don't up or? Know. I don't right. really know how it worked I think there was a, I don't know how these things arrived <laughs> so, like from extras this is yeah, so yeah, extras really, really was like when Hale and Pace yeah. turn up at the Ivy and <laughs> yeah, it's Ricky so Gervais true. can't get in so I remember that, and I it's just not my world at all and I'm not just saying that to appear sort of grounded or whatever it just isn't my world yeah. and, and, and I remember we, we met the Steve Jones one I was just like 
he was late and I was like well I reckon there's no one else here that's sort of competing for, for her so I was like okay that's good and then he arrived and I'm like oh for goodness sake mm. you know there's not you can't compete with this incredibly attractive he is attractive you know stylish suave man you know yeah. I'm there in jeans and a t-shirt and he's in some like night. he looks good in a jacket and yeah. jeans like it's not and at that point you didn't know that he was a far worse sports broadcaster than you <laughs> well, in, well, my, you in know, my humble opinion well, but you know he's, 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 like, he's been perfectly successful himself he was good on T4 yeah I mean that. like when you invite him on this podcast don't play him that bit. Um, I remember, you know, she was like, oh, let's go dancing. And I was like, let's go to the Roxy. Do you know the Roxy? Max, I spent the majority of the noughties in the Roxy <laughs> right, on right. Rathbone Place. It's yeah. like the shittiest downstairs oh, I loved plastic it. Yeah, yeah. glasses, plays living on a prayer and yeah. like a prayer. It's like the perfect place. Yeah. And he was like, oh, I'm a member of the Grouch Show. Oh, and I was God. like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> so anyway... Uh, we went there and the kitchen was closed but he magic some ice cream up and I just basically I just took it out of his hand and ate it and just went home and was like that's it done and I woke up and my trousers were on the floor in the you know in the kitchen and I was <laughs> terribly hungover and she sort of sent this message going oh I'm I'm home on my own I was like oh god well, I've, I've messed this up but anyway it just turned into this massive tease and then it was like Lee Ryan from Blue's this dinner and I was like this is total madness uh, but at least it'd be a good anecdote for later and actually uh, Joel Domit you know yeah. Joel yeah, yeah, yeah. who's really nice he was also chasing her at the time he, was, he, yeah. he did like an Edinburgh show out of it and um, uh, he's obviously gone on to be hugely successful yeah. and good for him and and um me and Joel were just finding this thing so hilarious. Oh, so you two were discussing it at the time because you knew each other a bit. We didn't know each other. This is how I got to know oh, him. Right, right, we, right. we don't really know each other particularly well, but we know each other to... We just found this... We were just part of this ridiculous entourage of people. And I remember sort of hating myself, but also sort of fancying her. And then eventually we were just on Primrose Hill, lying on Primrose Hill together. And it was funny because we... She was like, okay, let's go out on a date. And I was like, oh, great. And then I was like you know where should we go let's go to Amsterdam for the weekend she was like cool and then she's dropped out she basically I was out with a friend going I think we're going to Amsterdam this is really weird and he was like okay great and then she texted went one of those long texts going I think we should just be friends right. and I was like alright fair enough and then the next minute like the Daily Mail had this article going is she going out with I think I was described as sports pundit <laughs> And yeah. it was like, my friends were just like, what is this? This is totally ridiculous. And then I think I was going to go on holiday with her to Portugal and then everyone, loads of people were going and I was just like, I can't, I've got to stop. This is so just ridiculous. And I sent this really patronising long email to her going, I think you're surrounding yourself with the wrong people. Oh, wow. You know, it was like really, it was like sort of, Right. quite embarrassing but I think the right thing to die was like she seemed quite nice but she was in this world that was ludicrous so was it I'm kind of confused so <laughs> did you in hindsight then when when you met her after the show yeah was she you know was she flirting with you or was it something that you initiated or was this Good just question or was she flirting with you and then presumably doing that to every vagely attractive handsome <laughs> presenter really good question because she, she was sort of linked to like England rugby players and just like a whole selection. I don't know. I, I don't know if it was part of like there was some PR person yeah. saying, I mean, obviously that PR person can't be worth much if she thought I would be worth, you know. Right, right, right. I, no, I think she was just sort of. It's, is she from LA? It's quite an LA no, thing. No, she was Canadian actually. Oh, really? Um, I think she was sort of slightly confused as what she was doing with her life and it was just, right. you know, this was her world. It was just really for me it was like a real insight into this world because I can remember Lee Ryan at the Lee Ryan dinner which is an amazing (laughs) dinner Lee Ryan do you remember his whales and dolphins thing I don't remember that he was uh, yes yes I do after 9-11 yeah what about the whales and dolphins (laughs) yeah it's true (laughs) Um, but I remember him saying to her should we leave for the paps 
And I was like, oh, God. What? There aren't any... Like, no one knows we're at this restaurant. And then I think somebody had basically said, can you take a photo of us? So they left... Even though he had been hilarious at that dinner and she'd found it ridiculous. So I think my my reading of it is, and I may be completely wrong and you'd have to ask her, is that she she was in that world and she knew she had to be in that world, but she didn't entirely want to be in that world. Mm. I saw it and, you know, have got some really good anecdotes out of it, but for like the four weeks that I was sort of trying to chase her I was hating myself at the same time and thinking you know this is not you know my future wife is not going to be yeah from the remake of 90210 exactly my actual wife (laughs) is a primary school teacher in Tower Hamlets and it suits me you know that is right for me and likes watching Death in Paradise and going to bed at 9.30 I think the uh, Death in Paradise starring one of our uh, previous guests Ralph Little (laughs) absolutely Um, but I think the irony of it is my reading of it based on what you've said is probably a little bit that she I bet that she liked you because you were the most grounded and least kind of you know, saying stuff like, should we should we go now to miss the paps out of all <laughs> no, of No, it was them. literally, it wasn't to miss the paps, it was to Oh, to get the paps. Yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. Right, to get the paps. Yeah, oh, yeah, maybe. I mean, me and Joel were very similar, I guess, you know, in that yeah. kind of thing of just, obviously we, like, I was, I obviously I fancied her, but I was like, at the same time, I was like, this is totally ludicrous. Yeah, it's a bit crazy. Yeah. Um, my own... That's the closest, I think that's probably the closest yeah. I've been, apart from like charity football matches, if you if you go off the pitch near Ronan Keating and Ollie Murs, yeah. lots of girls scream at you, Yeah, but they're not screaming at you. Yeah, But it's sort of, you know, you, you could try and sort of pretend no, no, it I've, was No, no, I've played in some of those charity football games only because I'm kind of, I have... Omid Jalili used to get me to play in them because uh, I play in goal. And uh, I remember playing against the team from the BBC show Merlin. Right, okay. And the main guy who I think played the king in Merlin, I played football against a few times. And I just remember every time he he tackled me or got the ball, just a huge cheer from these young screaming girls at the valley, which is where it was. Fascinating, fascinating, isn't it? I mean, we did that. One of the last Soccer M ones, uh, a guy called Joe Weller, who's a YouTuber. Yeah. Obviously, I had no... You know, I'm too old for YouTubers yeah. and YouTube. And, but, like, I think we probably got about 4,000 people there, of which two and a half had turned up for him. You know, we were like a, an established TV show, and we got some really famous ex-pros there, but they were all for him. Yeah, the the only similar story I have to yours chasing the... I mean, I was going to say the famous girl from 90210, but I've never heard of her. <laughs> but I'm sure she is big in the, you know, American... Yeah, yeah, I think uh, at that so, time... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is I... Uh, I don't think I've told this on this, and I'll do it very briefly, but I was at a an early noughties uh, after Mobo's Craig David gig at the Scala, right? Because I used to work for 19 Management for a bit. Right, okay. So I got there through a friend of mine at 19 who got us in, and um, we're just walking through. It's like midnight, because so, it was after the awards. Just walking through, I've had a few drinks, and my friend who I'm with bumps into someone he used to work with. So he's talking to her quite intensely, and the girl that she's with is Holly Valance. Right, okay. Right? So at which point, naturally, completely shit myself. I've got to, of you course, know, I've yeah. got to talk to Holly Valance. Yeah, yeah. She's, you know, I watched her in Neighbours to some yeah, degree. Yeah, yeah. She's since had that song where she was naked in the video. And they're, all like, they're like, oh, should we go and sit down and have a drink? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. So it's, they're, they're still talking, and I've got to think of something to say to Holly Valance. Right. And this is... And it's the polite thing to do, right? It's not like you're trying to talk. No. It's like you're duty-bound. But in a weird way... If I'd been maybe 
eight drinks deep, then I probably would have performed better at this stage. But in my head, the first thing I think is, well, presumably the first thing that anyone says to Holly Valance is something about her career or whatever. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go the other way then. <laughs> and I ended up saying something so mortifyingly embarrassing, like sarcastically saying, oh, at least I'm not sat here with someone who used to be in a, in a terrible Australian soap. Do you know oh, what no, I mean? So that like, is really a bad assuming, line. Assuming that it would be, she'd get the sarcasm and it would be okay, but it was just, of course, like you said, appalling. <laughs> and uh, she basically literally turned her back to me. Oh, no. So uh, I think you, you performed better than that by getting uh, yeah. at least a month out of and it. And she but... probably found more financial security with <laughs> well, she's, that well, man. Oliver Lance is with like a multi-billionaire. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I'm, yeah. I'm not here to question... Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, your current account. Um, so how did you get into uh, the world of broadcasting and therefore your slight levels of fame? In your word, slight levels. I would say, especially in sport, you're, you're a pretty famous man, actually. Um, so I, I worked on the river in Cambridge as a punch chauffeur when I was growing up. Every, oh, every man in Cambridge does that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a rite of passage. Mm. But it's good money. It was cash in hand when I did it. And one half of your body got really in shape, right? <laughs> you know, because you, you were like punting all day on your on my left side. My yeah. right side was didn't get as toned. And obviously in the university holidays, you'd go back, do it, and go back to university. It was great. But then the sort of last year, you graduated, and then you went punting for the summer. Just, I'll work out what to do in my life. But then you don't go back to university, so you can become one of yeah. the weird guys who's still there in October, and then it's cold, and your parents are saying, what are you going to do with your life? And I think I did like two weeks' work experience at an advertising agency, and I really hated it. And a friend of mine had found, had guessed the email address of someone on Football Focus, a guy called Charles Runcie, but he hadn't pursued that. And he went, oh, look, email this guy. So I emailed this guy and said, look, here's my CV. I mean, it was empty. Mm. Can I... Uh, can I come in? And I did two weeks of work experience at Sport Online, like the website. Yeah. And at the end of the two weeks, he he took, brought me into the room and he said, look, you know, you can do the job. Mm. Like it was, ba- you know, listen to Five Live, write up the report for the website. Mm. Someone would check it, whatever. You can do the work. Work's pretty good. You know, obviously there's things you can learn. You've only been here two weeks. Everyone in the office thinks you're a twat. And I was like mortified. I was like heartbroken. Mm. But obviously... I, I I was just really cocky, basically. I was I was just a bit of a twat. And and what what do you think allowed you to feel even a, even cocky going into a industry like that that you'd never been in before? Um, I think part of it was a hubris that um, not everyone gets. And I went to Oxford, mm. and I think you probably. I don't think you get told that much, oh, you know, the world's your oyster, or like you can do anything. But you are kind of told that a bit, or you get that impression, you know, because big employers go there to try. Yeah. And I didn't understand the jobs that people were going into, consultancy and things. I was like, mm. I don't know what these are. But I think I probably left with a bit of that. And I probably was just a young, immature bloke. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if Oxford had anything to do with that, actually. It might have been just the same if I'd gone to any other university. I was just, hopefully I was nice and yeah. kind, yeah. but I was a bit of a dick. I think a lot of... 21 year olds are so I think it was probably that that I was probably tried a bit too hard or I was a bit too familiar with people who'd obviously worked quite hard to get to that position and it was a really he didn't need to say that we've I've had so many people do work experience that have been a bit of a twat and I haven't at the end of it because I don't like confrontation no no I've just sort of let them go on their way it's not really my role in in the weird way that presenters are sort of left 
are slightly apart. So you never really manage anyone. You're never anyone's boss, but people sort of have to do what you want. Mm. But it's a weird dynamic. So it's never really my role at the end of someone's work experience to say, don't do this or do this. Yeah. But I could help people a bit more by doing it because it was really important to me because it made me realise that the next thing I did was went to Radio Cambridge and I had aspirations to get to bigger establishments than Radio Cambridge here. But there were people there who loved doing that and were very passionate about doing that. And you sort of need to respect that. That is, you know, people really work really hard to make some really good... Actually, some local radio is brilliant and some is bad and some is brilliant, but some national radio is bad and some is brilliant. And some people work really hard and they weren't there because they didn't because they hadn't made it and got to radio 1 or radio 4 radio 5 some of them had got had got there because they liked being there and i think that probably even though i had aspirations to go beyond that made me realize that actually i didn't really know anything mm. and so when i next went into places i was sort of humble and or more humble i guess hopefully yeah. you know so that kind of brutal feedback yeah is is a real positive in terms of allowing you to learn what it would take to or what not to do yeah. when going forward. Yeah, massively important. But, I mean, but you managed to um, sorry to interrupt, but you managed to. I, I'm intrigued as to how early on then. I mean, other than the deadline and wanting to be deadline at eight, how early? You know, you must have told that friend who got you the email address. You must have known for years then that you wanted to get into that kind of realm. Yeah, I guess so. I just hadn't. I think I said I want to be deadline because. It was just an easy way to stop aunts and uncles asking yeah, you what yeah, you wanted yeah, to do yeah, with your yeah, life, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I've got an answer now, I'll say it. Yeah. It's quite a good answer. Yeah. People like Des Lynham. They you really know, did. <laughs> that looks like a fun thing to do. Uh, but I didn't... Like, at university, I, I was the sports editor of the newspaper, but not in an aspirational way, just because it was something to do. And me and a Geordie mate would get a crate of beer and spend all night trying to fit the reports into the, you know, the yeah. software on, on the computer. But like loads of people there were like aspiring journalists, political and sport, and had, you know, contacts books with, you know, someone would have Pat Murphy's phone number. And I'd be like, or, you know, I don't have that. I'm just doing this to see. Yeah. I hadn't really, in, in retrospect, it was a really good thing to do. And like the guy who was the editor before me is the sports editor of the Scottish Sun, I think. The one who was the year below me was the Times tennis correspondent, you know, like yeah. obviously a lot of people. So, people from the pod i think jonathan wilson wrote for one of them like lots of people have done that journey but at the time i didn't think of it in that sense yeah um so then i just started doing local radio and doing little sketches for other shows and getting out in the radio car and reporting and i just found it fun and i think i did you know i had loads of existential crises about all my friends had moved to london so i grew up in cambridge i studied in oxford every single one of them went to london mm. pretty much and so they're all in London. In my mind, they are all still being students, going out, having a wild time. In reality, yeah, in reality, they're in houses without central, central heating yeah. and they're all broke. But I didn't see that. I was doing like Saturday breakfast at Radio Cambridgeshire. So I would, at 22 or 23, I would be going to bed at 8.30 on a Friday night and getting up at 5 and walking in past people leaving nightclubs. And I didn't ever really like nightclubs, but I was thinking, what am I doing with my life? Or I stood at a farmer's market in Huntingdon to report again on <laughs> apples and yeah. thinking, what, what, you know, Peterborough's oldest lamppost. I'm doing a report on Peterborough's oldest lamppost. How am I going to get from here mm. to anywhere that I really want to be? But I... But I sort of said to myself, year on year, if I've got further. So my parent, my dad was like, 
why are you doing this? Why, you know, he wanted, like, yeah. he didn't grow up with a whole lot. He he did, like, amazingly well to become a doctor and, um, you know, didn't have teachers for one of his A-levels. You know, like, he, he, like he, he got out of, he went to school in Old Street, sort of five metres from where I live, and he's like, can't believe I spent my whole life trying to get out of here. Except he doesn't talk like that anymore. Um, and it wasn't gentrified back then. No, and it wasn't. It was a shithole. And, yeah. and and uh, but but I think he was like wanted you to get a proper job. Yeah, he yeah. didn't want me to go on a flaky career. Yeah. And and so, but I think year on year I was like, look, I'll see how I'm getting on. You know, can I get further? Can I get another show? So eventually, you get your first show, which is like just a one-off, two hours on an August bank holiday. And I was sort of five till seven in the afternoon, like no one is listening, but I am absolutely bricking it, you know. And I did so much prep for that show and it was bad, but it didn't, you know, it was like, you, you have to do that. Like the terror of that, only replicated probably by the first ever Soccer AM I did because I'd never done TV. Yeah. But but then year on year, it sort of, I was doing okay. I'd, I'd done a few more shows or I was getting better at reading the news and I did this post-grad journalism degree, which actually wasn't very good, but it was a piece of paper that you learn media law and all that kind of stuff and I think I went to BBC London so the last thing that already came was the longest ever radio show I did 121 hours in a shopping centre for children in need it was brilliant fun right it was really liberating because I think the the the, I think the thing about radio is it's if you can make it feel so relaxed that people don't think they're in a studio it will be good. Mm. It doesn't really matter. People will be themselves, right? And that's what you want, whether they're funny or serious or uh, whatever they are. You can get the most out of someone if they feel totally relaxed, which is why I think radio is much less stilted than TV Mm. because as soon as you put someone in a TV studio, they're like, the lights are on. We found that with Soccer M. It was so noisy until the guests came on and then we wanted to listen to them, but they're like, why has it gone quiet? Then they shit themselves and then they're nervous. So year on year, I was getting better. I did that ridiculously long show it didn't really get it it got a bit of traction but it wasn't like it didn't make me but then I went to BBC London I'd already got a job as a journalist there right started being a reporter occasionally got to be the sport monkey on Danny Baker's breakfast show and Mm -hmm. Danny's a total you know he's brilliant right and um and he was very generous broadcaster because he knew he was good you know I had presenters when I was reading the news I remember one presenter doing the Peterborough breakfast show saying look Sort of, I guess he saw me as some sort of weird kind of threat. But he was like, I'm okay with you doing the jokes. No, 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 I get it wrong. He said, I'm okay with you joining in, mm. but as Tom O'Connor on CrossFit says, I do the jokes. <laughs> and he said that with no irony. I yeah. was like, what an amazing sentence. Yeah. Like to, I mean, I didn't hate CrossFits, but it's not, no, that, it's no. not that, you know, it's not yeah. like on Curb Your Enthusiasm was, this happens. Do it, you was know a good, I mean? it was a good uh, 80s slash 90s uh, daytime <laughs> yeah, yeah. quiz show, as I remember it. Um, well, it just shows that ego exists all the everywhere, way along the line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And with producers and with cameramen and with every, you know, and, and in accountancy firms and in schools, like yeah. ego is everywhere. I think ego is very much in presenters. I mean, they're a strange breed. I, 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 I think I'm on the normal side of it. Yeah. But I, you know, it's probably not for me to say. But also what I will say, so what interests me about not only the way you describe your kind of career so far but also the way you are as a personality as well. I feel like your default setting is kind of um, self-deprecation, yeah. uh, take the piss out of yourself, sarcasm. Um, and I've been told not to do that. Like, bosses have said, don't retweet insults. Don't, yeah. because... And you sort of hope your bosses are smart enough to realise that yeah. if, a, if a sort of, you know, if somebody, if a tiny egg with one follower is saying they want to 
fist you in the anus because you're a scumbag, right? Which is a one of my favourite tweets. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not that doesn't mean you're not very good. But I have been told to be less self-deprecating. But it's I don't know. It is a well, default setting. That interests me as well because I feel like the way that you deal with. I mean, we'll get on to social media, I think, but the way you deal with it, I think it's uh, in a similar way to, you know, the way James Blunt deals with it and yeah. has made a, you know, basically a rebirth of, yeah. of people's view of who he is because he take you know, because he takes piss out himself in replying to Twitter. And I think you do similar. Whereas, for example, someone who works at your station, Adrian Durham, who I've been in a Twitter spat with before, yeah. he'll just bite and he'll just yeah. bite and bite and bite. And maybe, you know... I would say if I were the boss of Talksport, and I know you weren't there, so I'm not gonna, you know, you don't have to say anything, but I would, I would be more worried about people who bite on Twitter than I would about people who take the piss out of yeah, themselves. No, I, I don't, I don't disagree. I mean, everyone does their own thing, right? But I, I would, I wouldn't disagree with yeah. you. Yeah, but also in terms of what I was saying about um, your self-deprecation stuff, when you're talking about how you made, uh, you know, and kind of also being very laid back, that when you talk about the way you've kind of made it up at this point into your career or whatever I feel like you talk you talk about it in a way where you're trying to say like you almost stumbled into each thing but what I also notice I think is quite a deep rooted ambition as oh, yeah. well oh no no I was so when I got to BBC London I was in the boss's office all the time right. saying I want to present I want to show here's my demo why am I doing this I, I there were like two or three of us who were pretty similar in sort of style as reporters but you know, I would be doing the breakfast shift and finish four till twelve, and I'd finish it midday. And then I'd just be downstairs making demos, making demos. Right. I was sending demos to every radio station. You know, Kiss, Virgin, Radio XFM at the time, yeah, yeah. Capital, and um, I remember Kiss liked my demo, and then I listened. Were you into to, dance music? Well, I listened to Kiss for an hour, <laughs> and I I met the guy, and I and I and, I, and I'm sort of, sort of proud of that. I sat with him. I just said, before we get anywhere, I'm really pleased you liked it. I want to hear what you think about it. But I would be the person saying, here's JZ. You know, like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. this radio, you may go to another radio station, but I can't, I couldn't be at Kiss. Then I went to Capital. They offered me a show. And then the guy that offered me the show left or was sacked or quit. Yeah, so that didn't yeah. come off. I had a pilot at Radio 1, which I was, which I just didn't nail. It was really frustrating. And, you know, and I wasn't, I probably wasn't right for it at the time. It was about the time they, probably just a year or two before Greg James, they got Greg in. But I was, I was, you know, basically I was just so unfashionable and so uncool. Right. And I just wore deck shoes and chinos yeah. when they really weren't cool. They yeah. might have come back in now, but like. <laughs> I, and think, I, I think it's flares now. Well, maybe, but, but like I just wasn't quite right for it. Yeah. But I would have been able to, you know, if I'd been a bit luckier, if I'd nailed that pilot, they might have invested in me. I don't know. Yeah. So, so year on year, these things were happening. And then I remember, um, so yeah, there, there was real ambition. And I think I think my ambitions have sort of changed a bit, mm. but I still have that. I still get like real sort of a bizarre professional jealousy of anything on TV. Because I walk from, you know, Anandex Takeaway to Newsnight. Mm. I see the guy, I could do that. Yeah, and then, And then I think, well, actually, A, the person doing it is probably better than me, but also... Do I actually want to be doing that? I thought after Soccer M, I'd do it for three, two or three years, and it would be a springboard to X Factor, and I would do that. And actually, you know, Dermot is brilliant at X Factor, mm. you know, and has an ability that I wouldn't have to retain some credibility, but also take it seriously. Yeah. And I wouldn't be able to take it seriously. Not that it was ever offered to me, but but like, it is interesting that I still have that, but I don't. But I also have enough perspective and I don't know if it's to my detriment that if I'm 
annoyed that I haven't been given a show or someone else has got a talk sports show ahead of me or whatever, that I just am quite happy generally about life, right? Mm. And I that's think because you've, that's because you're in you're in where you wanted to get in. But being yeah. able being able to still have that ambition. But I've got I some perspective. I've got yeah. ambition but perspective as yeah. well, right? Yeah. So so I'm not it doesn't take my every minute if 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 someone is doing something that I think I could do better, I th- might think it, but then I just think, well I love my wife and I've got a nice yeah. flat. And and I think <laughs> about all when you asked me to do this pod, I thought what was really interesting was and it was funny that you had Ralph on, and I don't, you know, I don't know what Ralph said, but he got fame so young, mm. and he got huge fame so young, and I think that is much harder to deal with because by the time I actually got any fame, by the time of Soccer M, I was twenty nine. Yeah, I'd had ten years, well, ten. No, I'd had like seven years of local radio reporting, of just a lot of shit, mm. and a lot like I'd worked really hard to get there. That when any kind of fame came, it, it just sort of didn't... I was just older and, a, yeah. you know, I, I wasn't that mature at 29, but I was just... It wasn't like getting yeah. it at you, 15. You, you were Harry Kane, Ralph was Marcus Rashford, basically, is what we're talking about in terms of the analogies of... I was of, Ian Wright, wasn't I? I was like, even later than that. Yeah, you know? well, yeah, no, exactly. Um, if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In terms, I mean, you've mentioned Soccer AM a couple of times. I think what's really interesting, and, and, it, and it leads on from what you were saying about getting it at 29, um, so you're kind of more ready than you might have been seven or eight years earlier but equally you were thrown into it's kind of a poison chalice in a lot of ways in that um you know from my recollection of it it was a very very successful show and had been for what 10 years by that point yes so um, lovejoy had done nine or Tim, ten years Tim lovejoy had done nine or ten years and it was a very kind of cult successful show uh, and then lovejoy left and then andy goldstein did a year didn't mm-hmm. he yeah and it was very quickly jettisoned yeah um but as someone with no tv experience that's a very I imagine that to have been a very, very difficult time. And I think you've even described it before as, as just saying uh, you were terrified by it. Yeah. If Twitter had existed, yeah. then I wouldn't have lasted. I'm convinced about that. Because I wasn't very good at it. And you did last seven years. I did, I did seven years. But if Twitter hadn't existed, had existed, so I started in 2008, nine. maybe Twitter did exist, but it didn't really. No, no, it no, wasn't yeah. what it was now. Yeah. I wouldn't have lasted because I wasn't very good at the start. I'm still learning how to do it. I wasn't myself. I was trying a little like Tim and Andy were both quite sort of laddie. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me. They were sort of quite FHM loaded. And I wasn't really that, you know, I'm a massive square, really. So it took me two or three years to be like, right, this is mine now. I can relax yeah. and be me. And people will like that or not. But that's much better than sort of trying to force being laddie about things because it's just not in my nature that's yeah. not a criticism of people who are it's just sure you know i wanted david attenborough on the show yeah, yeah and yeah. angela lansbury <laughs> and carl kennedy from neighbors i didn't want some cool rapper you know because it just wasn't that didn't interest me so it it, it was it was really terrifying i think i was probably lucky that andy did that year right and i don't think he was i think he was actually pretty good at it really and actually i think what's interesting is it's funny that I I did the Blue Peter audition the day I got offered Soccer AM. It's a weird day. But like, and Blue Peter doesn't really exist now. Maybe it does, but not but as like, it did back then. Not, not as yeah, it did. Yeah, and certainly it was already on the wane by the time I was offered it. Mm. Um, or I got to the last three of the interview, but I'd already agreed with Soccer AM. So it was a, it's a very strange day. But, but um, you look back with rose tinted spectacles. So if you are now our age, well, Soccer AM, you were in your mid-twenties when Lovejoy was there mm. and it was like, this was, it was fantasy football, right? Yeah. It was like, yeah. it was like Bedeal and Skinner. Like, it was an amazing well, TV show, yeah. right? Well, I know David and he definitely thinks it's fantasy football. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in that he's, he's just a bit like, they, they ripped us off. Well, uh, yeah. I think that's probably true. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one has a, no one has a, you know, if you take football and comedy, you're going to come up with the same exactly. gags. Exactly. Um, but, David and Frank, I don't know them well enough to call them, but I'd never met them. Don't know them to call them by their first names, but that was seminal TV, right? As a, as a 16, 17, 18 year old for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. And I think Soccer M did the same. It was live and it was longer, so you had to pad it out. But actually, you look with Rose Tinted Spectacles. We used to watch some of the old shows, Tim and Helen, and be like, I mean, basically they were doing the same thing that we are doing. And like what they're doing now is pretty much the yeah, same, is, yeah. but I'm not, I'm not objective. I don't watch it, but I probably think, oh, my years were better than they're currently doing. Yeah. But we'd probably come up with the same gags, 
because you know you're going to do a gag about VAR. There's like there are there are a million you could do, but you come up with one and agree what's the best one. Yeah. And so and you're working to the same you're working course, to the same audience, just a different generation, but the same yeah. audience. Where I was lucky with Soccer AM was because Sky was growing and it was all about subscribers. The figures. I think the highest ever figures were when I was there, but that's not because of me. That's because we have more subscribers. Mm. The figures also dropped off while I was there because young people don't watch TV now, right? No. They just don't. No. And and also, um, probably by the last year I did it, social media had got so big that even when I first arrived, if something funny happened in a League Two game, you didn't see it until Soccer the next Saturday. It was a clip show, really. Mm. It was sort of like, it'll be all right on the night for football yeah. with some guests. Yeah. But but obviously by now, if something's funny has happened, you've everyone's seen it. Yeah. Everyone's seen that brilliant goal from Irish football, you know, being tweeted out a minute, that volley. It's yeah. an amazing goal, right? But we've all seen it. I know this is not very time-specific, but, <laughs> you know, John Stone's falling over has been gift to yeah. death in the Carabao and Cup final already. Well. And straight away. Yeah. So that really changes what they have to do as a show. But we, I was really lucky because that still existed. Sky was still growing. And, like, it was life-changing. I was I was... I was so lucky to get that show because I made a show reel and I sent it to everyone and no one replied except for the Travel Channel who said I was boring. And Sky Sport, this old Scottish guy rang me. It was like, what are you doing tomorrow? Come in for a chat. I was like, all right. I met these two old duffers who were Vic Wakeling, who sadly passed away, yeah. and Andy Melvin, who built Sky Sports from a port cabin into what it is now. And we just chatted about Cambridge United for an hour. Yeah. And Soccer Emin, I'd been a fan of the week in the year 2000. I'd been in the oh, Luther wow. Blissett, you wow. know, with my mates. Oh, my God. That's and a clip that must be dug yeah, out Yeah, yeah, yeah. They dug it out on the first show. Right. But it's like, for them, at that meeting, they decided that, that Andy, they didn't want to keep Andy. So they were just sitting there going, support's a lower league club. So that's credibility already. Yeah. Um, and has been on the show, right? They're just going tick, tick, tick. I I honestly was like, I just lost the breakfast show on BBC London. I was still staff at the BBC, but I was like, oh, you know, the power boating or that temping bowling competition or the pool one. I, yeah. I had no concept that they were thinking of something that big. So I was incredibly lucky to get I was pretty unlucky to lose it, but that's life, right? I was luckier to get it than I was unlucky to lose it. Right, okay. I say it. We'll get on to losing it, I think, because I'm intrigued about that. But I think for it's worth asking for people who maybe are listening you know, let's say we've got some younger listeners and they aspire to the kind of career that you are in or the industry that you're in. What I'm really fascinated by is the idea that actually that almost kind of what feels to me like that mythical thing of if you can get yourself an in and then just totally self-promote yourself and send stuff out and send stuff out that actually that can really work. Yeah. Um, which I think is, God, I really wish I'd had that belief, that kind of self-belief that you had when I was young because I would have absolutely aspired to get into a similar thing. Yeah. But I think I know that for about, I know that I, I pretty much know that I wanted to be a presenter from when I was a teenager, but I was way too scared to tell anyone that I wanted to be a presenter because yeah. I thought people would say, well, don't be, that's such a fucking vacuous yeah, yeah, freak yeah. job. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, firstly, brilliant to have that kind of not caring about that and self-belief. And then secondly, I'm intrigued to know in that Sky sports meeting then for Soccer AM, did you know that that was even a possibility they were going to offer you that job? Not a clue. And if you had, do you think you'd have been able to no. be as relaxed? And actually, I I had that chat for an hour. They went, look, we think we've got something for you. We'll give you a call in two months. If you get offered anything big, let us know. I was right. like, all right. What is it? Maybe it's like an out and about guy. Yeah, Maybe BT it's like, guy, yeah. Yeah, or like, or like some goals on Sunday theater. I don't know. Like, I have no idea. Mm. And then... The producer of Soccer AM rang me and said, do you want to go for lunch? So I said, yeah. 
he didn't really give anything away either. So I was just chatting away to him. But we talked for an hour and a half, so I thought, well, that can't be bad. No, no, yeah. And then, then they called me on like Wednesday. You know, I got a call from Vic on Wednesday saying, "What are you doing on Friday?" And I was like, "Well, I've got a Blue Peter audition." So then he's going, "Shit, we're going to lose this guy." That's the best thing you could have said. Amazing, right? Mm. So he was like, "Can you get him before?" I was like, "Fine." So I got him before, and the funny thing about this is so, so ridiculous. The Blue Peter audition. I, I looked at the information. It said. I was 28, 29 at the time. Yeah, quite old for Blue Peter. Yeah, it's a bring in a prop that represents your life. What? <laughs> so I was like, I don't know anything. I was looking around the house. And <laughs> years ago, a mate of mine... Your punting stick, surely. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what that's called. Yeah, um, I don't either. Um, but years ago, a mate, me and a friend found anvils funny. And then he sent me one through the post. As in anvils, the... Like, like the cartoon, the, the you know. Cartoon the cartoon white the, things. The, 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 yeah, I think it's for like blacksmiths or something. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> We found it funny. We thought it'd be funny if we posted one because the postman would have a bad day. <laughs> That's not very kind of us. So I had this anvil. So I put this anvil in a bag, got on the train to Sky, um, and then went in. And I was like, well, you know, there'll be a screen test or a pilot or an audition. And I just went and sat down. And he was a Geordie guy. He went, I'd like to talk about soccer AM. I went, yeah. And he went, would you like to do it? So I'm sitting there going, I was like, yeah. And so he was like, I'd hope you'd say that. What happens if you get off a of Blue Peter? I was like, well, I'd rather do this. I said, I hope you give me a million pounds, yeah. but I'd rather do this. He was like, okay. Um, and he said, what other work are you going to do this year? And I went, oh, I'll just do this work. I'll just do this to make it so good you give me another a second year. He went, oh, I'll give you a two-year deal. So I'm like, and then it was it was just after Hull had beaten Bristol City in the playoffs, right? right? right. Dean Windass had scored that volley. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't really watched the game. And he started talking to me about the game. And then I'm sitting there going, I've got to fucking get out of here. Mm. Before he realises, before, reali- before he, he, realizes he, you know, yeah. he realises, this is just like, what are you doing? And um, he said, do you want to talk about money? I was like, no, I don't. Because I I literally had no, I literally had no, I just sort of agreed to have it with this agent. That yeah. But I was like, I just don't, it, I, like, I'd, I wasn't really earning any money at the time. I'd have probably done it for nothing mm. because it would have been great mm-hmm. profile. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I don't know. And then I rang this my agent. I said, look, I've got a two-year deal. Do I have to go to the Blue Peter audition? He was like, yes, because nothing until it's signed is set in stone. Mm. So I go to the Blue Peter audition and there's me holding an anvil, <laughs> right? There's like four, tw- there's four 25-year-old blokes yeah. And five 25-year-old girls and me. I'm just so out of place. <laughs> I don't want this job. They've all got like photo montages of their whole life. This is the biggest moment of yeah, their lives. That they all made. That they all made. Yeah. Is, I'm sitting there with Anvil. <laughs> I'm right, and then at one point I'm like, we had to do this thing with water pistols. And this poor girl, I'm just sitting there with water pistols going, blah, 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 blah. What do you think? And I just went, just like absolutely like <laughs> soaked her. And then... Then I was learning the history of Lego. That would have been good, by the way. That would have absolutely been would have gone down well. well of course, yeah. yeah. Well, then I, I was learning the history your, of Lego. Your level of not giving a shit will have absolutely oh. gone oh, yeah, down brilliantly. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I got to the final three and said I don't want it. Yeah. But like, if I hadn't had Sogram, I would have probably balls up that yeah, interview. Yeah. Um, history of Lego. Yeah, sorry, I was interrupting. Then that's right. The history of Lego. Then my agent texted me and went, "Look, this is what they're paying you for year one and year two. Yeah, and it wasn't footballers' wages. No, you know. But in comparison, but to in what comparison, you were... what I'd earned before, it was like. Mm. life-changing yeah. and I like my brain is like like it was just so much to take in in one day and and like Sky were like don't tell anyone please mm. because I don't think they I don't think they you know they wanted to get me sorted before they yeah spoken to Andy and 
a friend of mine, Clive, was getting married, um, and we and he would like me and a couple of the other ushers or whatever were going to the pub to taste the beers. You know, why, why do you do? I don't know why you do that at a wedding. You know, you drink shit beer all well, I'll year. Tell you why but... it is because it's so that the groom to be can tell his wife to be that he's doing something for the wedding Maybe, when yeah, really is getting pissed. So after about three beers, I just turned to like two of my oldest friends I've known since <laughs> I was like four. I said, I had a really weird day, chaps, and I told them. And then I just shat myself a month and a half. Just, you know, there was no, like, we didn't really rehearse or anything, really, right. until, like, the day before. Oh, right, right, right. We, like, rehearsed a bit. Yeah. And then we did the show. It was, like, three hours. It was just, like, utter terror. I was, like, a rabbit in the headlights. Yeah. It was terrifying. Because I was going to ask, actually, because that, you've described what I, what I, so that day, to me, is what I kind of describe as, like, the very rare occasions in your life which feel like the, like, the Little Mermaid moment where it's, like she comes out of the sea or whatever and everything just comes together yeah. at the right time and also you sort of feel like you're not you're, you're watching you're watching it. yourself yeah. Hap- yeah, yeah exactly you're watching it happen from outside of your own body and you know on that day it's probably hard to get a a, a, a reality of it but the, the reality of it is of course that you'd work for 10 years really hard in ver- you know in various different ways so that that day could happen yeah. do you know what I mean yeah um, but and it could t- have happened at Radio 1, or it, if it hadn't happened at Soccer maybe it would have happened some other time. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, but, but then but then what I was going to ask, just so I don't forget, is I'm intrigued to know, because then you, you mentioned how the next month and a half you were shitting yourself. I'm intrigued to know how long, literally, you think you were able to enjoy it before you were then like, <laughs> the reality of this is <laughs> killing me with fear. That's For a, me, it's usually about 20 seconds. Uh, it's a really good question. I, I don't... I don't think, I don't think it was very long at all mm. because then I just your mind starts racing. A, your mind starts racing sort of creatively. Like, um, I've got all these ideas. I've got all these ideas for this show that I think would be great. Mm. And then you're like, I need to meet Helen. I need to meet the producers. Um, and then like you went into the office, and obviously people have been doing this job for a long time and actually even though the show's super fun it's really hard work yeah. for producing APs who aren't necessarily getting paid loads of money mm-hmm. and it's not like in my mind that office would just be people mucking about all day and actually people had work to do so people yeah. and were in different points in their life some of them didn't love it and right. there were like relationships in that team of 20 that weren't great so I sort of came in thinking literally it would just be like confetti and you know a ticker tape thing but, magic, but like yeah. that, that actually very rarely happens in any no, it's real life in, in any yeah it's real life and there are people not enjoying it liking people not liking people so I think that for me was like a I don't know why I presume I presume because it was such a fun show that everyone would be so happy to be there and most people were mm. but actually you know the breakfast show that I'd done at BBC London if I look back at a time that I did the breakfast show at BBC London I was doing it with Joe Good, who is still at BBC London, there are two Joe Goods, and she's the one who was in Crossroads, right? So it was a really right. weird man. This I was sort of 25 spotty, or 26, 27 spotty, uh, unfashionable, sort of vaguely posh bloke, and she was like this former actress who wasn't sure what to do with her life. And then, But we had this just team of everybody who got on amazingly well, and that doesn't happen that often no, in, any, in any bit of life. So... So I sort of found that quite interesting at Soccer M. And I just was, I was just in my own, I was just in my own world of fear, actually. Yeah. Of yeah. Like, I, I just so scared. Like the night before, just couldn't sleep. Just woke up thinking, why am I doing, you know, why am I doing this? 
just trying to get through the first show. And I, and it was, I was so nervous, I dropped my phone in the toilet before the first show. <laughs> and a mate of mine was getting married in Sweden. And that was brilliant. So I literally did the show and I flew to Sweden. Right. And um, I didn't, re- my phone was running out of batteries. I didn't really have the address. I just, I just thought, oh, I'll look it on my phone when I've got out. So I eventually found my friends. And also, like, I was, aw- even though there was no social media, I was away from any sort of reaction from anybody. Mm. So I was just like, oh, I was like, in a lake, Swedish lake, the next morning, thinking, "What a weird weekend!" What a weird weekend, yeah. Uh, and just before I go on to like what happened at the end with Soccer AM, and then we'll move on to other stuff. Why then do you think you said you know you thought you were bad at it for a while from the start? Why do you think they stuck with you during that period, other than giving you a two-year contract? I suppose. Um, I think because they'd already they they changed the presenter for one year already, so yeah. they just needed some continuity, and. I think that was probably the main re- that was probably the main reason. Right. And I I didn't I didn't rock the boat, you know. I was I was sort of very deferential to Helen, which is probably the right thing because mm-hmm. she was she'd done it. She knew what it was. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to compete and she was really really good at it. And I I got on with the producer, you know, we didn't yeah. agree on a lot of things necessarily, but I was I wasn't a twat. It was that advice from, yeah. well, hopefully I wasn't. You know, like, yeah, yeah. I, so I was, I was easy. I was good to work with. I was yeah. punctual and sober and <laughs> friendly, you know, and I would... Are you suggesting not everyone's punctual and sober, Max? Well, you know, so so I think those things really helped me, actually. Okay. Um, but I think I was pretty lucky. I think they were, early, really early on, they were thinking about... I remember my, the boss met my agent and was like, we're not sure this is working, wow. after, like, a few weeks. Wow. And he rang me and told me, and and said... And actually, that Saturday, I was wearing a polo shirt that looked like I was, it was like one of those old Lyle and Scott ones, but it looked like exactly like the B&Q. Uh, what, people in the Uniform. Right, like the right, uniform, right. like the black right. with the orange. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and like we just got all these emails about B&Q, and it's really funny. And I just sort of, I think at that moment, I was like, I can't believe I worked so hard to get here, and I'm going to lose it. And I was just a bit like, oh, fuck it. So I really was, I found the B&Q stuff funny, and it really, it was like a sort of, for me, it, no one else would notice, but it was like a changing moment for me. Right. And then we filmed me in a and q the next week before okay. the show. You're like, oh, it's five to nine. Can I get off shift? And it was like, okay, I'm sort of starting to be myself. I was still... Right, so a literal a literal uh, enabler for you to take the piss out of yourself that allowed you to then maybe be more yourself on the show. Yeah, probably. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Huh, but also one of the most stressful times surely because we've uh, I'm not sure if it will have gone out by the time yours this episode does but we interviewed James Redmond who lost his job after three months on SMTV Live CD UK uh, really and he talked at length about that and just how difficult that was for him to recover from sure because you, you've worked so you hard worked, to right. get that moment and then it's right, and exactly. then it's gone yeah really similar thing um and so you mentioned how lucky you were to get it but then you felt unlucky to lose Soccer AM yeah. what, what happened there well in my experience of broadcasting, and it's probably the same in lots of places, the boss who hires you likes you. Mm. And if a new boss comes in, then you're in the lap of the gods because they've got their own ideas yeah. and the new boss of Sky Sports didn't think I was very good. They might have got, yeah, they might, might have got the job by saying, I think it needs changes, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, Sokren was not that important to Sky. It was important in a way, but, you know, there were live football, soccer Saturday, all those things are the, mm. are the drivers, right? That's why people subscribe to watch the football. Um, but he, yeah, I think he had worked with Fenners previously, like they were similar age and stuff. And Fenners had come in to do fantasy football, which was a really good show. And so he wanted to change it. I don't think I could have done anything differently to mm. to, 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 mm-hmm. to change that. So he swapped us. 
and I went to fantasy football and actually yeah. I really enjoyed it. So like that was a really good show. Actually. I really enjoyed really that show. show. It was like yeah. this is your life for for, for a footballer and. Um, I suppose at the time I was like, I've swapped shows. How did your ego feel? Like, how did it feel? Like, sure, because I reckon there must. If you're anything like me, then I reckon there might have been a part of me that would have gone, "Fuck you! No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take this other show. I'm just gonna leave and and yeah, like, totally I mean, self-defeatingly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, cutting off my nose to spite my face. Was there any part of that, or how did your ego feel? At do, you that? Know, do you know what? At BBC London, I'd done The Breakfast Show for a year. Now, I was staff, so I wasn't like a freelance presenter like most people are, where your contract runs yeah. out and you can go. They had to find a job for me. And I used to be The Breakfast Reporter, right? So that's going out in the radio car, reporting to The Breakfast Show. <clears throat> they they got Paul Ross to do The Breakfast Show, and they said, Max, can you go and be Breakfast Reporter again? Mm. And I sat there going, God, that is so fucking galling. Mm. This is my show, mm. and now I've got to be the funny guy in the radio car. <clears throat> and my first report literally was dog shit like it's a local radio report you know picking up dog shit and I'm like you fucking serious mm. like you couldn't write this mm. and I remember doing the report and amazingly I was this bloke this dog did a shit I'm, 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 I'm there like with my this isn't live <laughs> so Alan Partridge it's so Alan Partridge but it's not live but I'm, I'm recording I'm like here I am and I was like excuse me your dog's just done a shit and you haven't picked it up and I just wonder what you think and he was like oh and he got flustered and he picked it up with his bare hands and put it in the bin right and I'm like you've just done it with your bare hands like yeah yeah whatever and it was like such a brilliant bit of radio actually and and I was like this is calling for me but listeners don't give a shit no. they don't even they don't even think in that way right so I, I sort of had that perspective to go okay well this is what it is and I suppose I try I don't do it all the time, but I try in my life to think, this is what I'm doing right now. So I'm right now doing this podcast. I want to have as much fun and make this as good as I can. Mm. And then when I leave, I don't know what I'm doing later, but like, if it's even just cooking the pad thai I got on special at Waitrose, I'm going to, you know, like, it's a good way to exist, right? So I remember I was I was away in the summer with my uh, girlfriend at the time, my wife now, we were in Vietnam, and I remember all this machination was happening over the summer and so is it like Chinese whispers kind of thing that kind of thing yeah, yeah, yeah you know and I remember I remember the number two at Sky saying my contract was running out and I was like look eventually I was like I rang him I said look you don't owe me anything but you gotta let me know because am I coming back am I not I really need to know because I've got to find another job he was like, you are coming back, you are coming back. And he's like, can, I, can you tell me what it is? And he was like, I can't tell you what it is. And eventually, I, and I was, do you know what? My biggest fear was it was Sky Sports News because that would have just killed me because that's just mm. five hours of just tedious transfer gossip. Yeah, it's not stuff. your personality. It's, it's not, not for me. Mm. And, and then he said it's fantasy football, so I was so relieved. And then I went away and I remember like... But by that point, so when he said you're coming back, you knew that it wasn't going to be Soccer AM still. Yeah. Right, right. But I didn't know what it was. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, you know... And actually, so by the by the time I remember meeting some people in Vietnam, we were on holiday in Vietnam, and some like fans of the show were like, "Oh, let's have a photo. Oh, I can't wait for next season." Blah blah blah. I remember that really hurting. Going, mm. I can't tell them, but mm. I'm not there. Mm. And fantasy football was a much smaller show, mm. but like, they gave me a two year contract, you know, and it was talking about football. And actually, I, I I hadn't really watched fantasy football until I got it, and I was that was. I really grew into that show. My first reaction was, this is nowhere near as fun. We need to make it more fun. But actually, yeah. it was really interesting. And football, the stories are I love that football. Really and actually, I really liked that show. And I guess it was a bit more serious. Yeah. And that probably didn't hurt me professionally. 
Um, and it's interesting because for the first few weeks of Soccer M when I wasn't there, people were devastated that I wasn't there. Mm. After years of no one caring, mm. social media was like, yeah. where's Max? It's the end of the world, blah, blah, blah. And obviously now, four years later, whatever, no one cares. You know, right. every, no one is indispensable. You never are. It was, uh, you know, I had 10 years at Sky, so I did fantasy football, then predictions. And for lots of different reasons, you know, Sky doesn't make that many shows like that anymore. Like, no. it costs a lot of money compared to the, like, the debate now, which yeah. is oh, yeah, three yeah. people in a room have a chat, which yeah. is a radio show, really. Yeah. Um, they didn't renew my contract. And I remember when they, you know, they got me into the office and they said, we're not renewing it. I was sort of not, I was bothered because obviously financially it was a big hit. But I was getting more fun out. And I'm not just saying this, but The Guardian was massive for me. Like, really loved doing that. Talk, radio is, mm. I really loved that. I'd, I'd, I'd happily go back there if they, were, they offered me something that I enjoyed. Yeah. Um, but it was like, like, it was, you know, you've got to have the perspective to go, I was there for 10 years. I never ever thought I would get be there for that long. It was life changing for me, and I learned how to be good at being a TV presenter. It opened up lots of doors for me. So yeah, I'm not. I'm I'm certainly not embittered. No, and it's definitely like like I mentioned before. It's like the dream kind of story for people who aspire to that kind of thing is how hard you have to try, and then suddenly when you almost like when you least expect it, it might all come sure. off as well. Yeah. Um, this is the almost famous podcast, and we did in the first series obviously talk about the family members of people who've experienced fame. Other than you mentioned your dad wanting you to get a proper job, etc. But in in general, how has you being on TV, being a, a celebrity or a famous person, affected your family? Do you have any siblings who have? Tried a different thing, or uh, um, and what do your parents think? I mean, probably almost made almost no difference to my life. <laughs> I would say to their lives. I think my mum got very excited when she thought I was doing a TV show with Paul Merton, and then she found out it was Paul, Paul Merton. Merton. Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, uh, my you know they'd switch on the TV to check I was still alive on a Saturday. I think my sister very occasionally has gone down a Twitter wormhole and got annoyed that people. That, you know, are rude about me, and I was like, just don't look yeah. at it. It's not a, it's not an issue. Um, what does your sister do? Works in sales. Yeah, yeah. She was actually, you know, she was really musical and quite performative actually growing up, but just didn't go down that route. Um, I, I think I, I, it's interesting. I think actually writing in the Guardian. You know, that's the first time like, my friends actually noticed that I've actually done anything, right? right. <laughs> Given that that's sort of the demographic that, that most of them are. I'd say for our family, it has made almost no difference, yeah. I think. I don't think, you know that, you know in like X Factor when, you know, after judges' houses, they go back and like the family, the, the yeah. whole family there with yeah. balloons and t-shirts yeah. and whatever. Just have this image that if... I'd been a singer and I'd got back home like my mum wouldn't would have been in the garden and my dad would be reading a book and I'd be like I've got through to judges houses and he'd literally looked up and gone that's nice and then back like they're they're proud but they would never say it right I think you know now they know like I think my dad's just pleased that he sees it's a form of employment that I keep seem to being being asked to do yeah and you wrote that brilliant article around the champions league final about watching it with your dad that was for the guardian wasn't it yeah did he did he did you get any sense that he enjoyed the kind of notoriety of notoriety or you know no a, a slight i don't think so i don't think it's his, involved I, I think he he likes being sort of he likes being center of attention in his own world okay he had no and it was actually really funny i had a ticket for the champions league final now my dad is a huge tottenham fan and he didn't want to he's 81 now but he didn't want to go to 
Madrid. Madrid. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if I could have got him another ticket. And so I, I remember after after we knocked out Ajax in the semi-final, sort of waking up, feeling really kind of nostalgic for what football meant to me, which was all about my relationship with my dad. And mm-hmm. that that is true for a lot of people. Yeah. And really feeling like I needed to watch it with him, even though we haven't really watched Tottenham games together for years because I in London and he's in Cambridge and but after every game he'll ring me up and tell me how good Jimmy Greaves was and it's just sort of I just sort of felt this kind of nostalgic that's where I need to be and so if you write an article that says I love football I love my dad of course it's going to resonate with a lot of people it's not it's actually not it's sort of an easy win right but I didn't I actually wrote it without being asked to write it I just said I sent it to the sports editor because I'd sort of said I wouldn't mind doing a bit of writing and then they published it and it went really like it obviously got a lot of traction mm-hmm. because people like reading stuff like that. Yeah. The the postscript which I also read was I went to Madrid, right? And I flew back on the Saturday because I'd agreed to go for two days before or something so I went out with my friends blah, blah, and I so on the Saturday morning I'm the only person flying from Madrid to London, yeah. right? Yeah. I land, I've got a mat, I've been out really late and I've got a terrible hangover and I, it's a blisteringly hot day and I've accidentally left my bike locked outside. My bike's been nicked. <clears throat> it's like, I, I text my dad going, all good for tonight, he's coming to London. A couple of friends are coming that I've watched all the rounds with. And I go, I go for a nap at like one, get while I wake up at five. I wake up, I've got eight missed calls from my dad. All the trains have been cancelled mm. from Cambridge. Mm. I'm like, he's like, I'll watch it at home. It's, I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is really bad for the narrative, right? <laughs> yeah, I've written <laughs> you know about I mean? this. I've got, right? I've got future right. articles to write. Is there anything you can do? It's like, I had to go to work on a Sunday, so I couldn't really get up to Cambridge. And I've got people coming over. So I'm like, is there anything you can do? And, and like, oh, that's 80-year-old man that has to get the slow train to Liverpool Street, right? In like 50 degrees or whatever, once you're in a train carriage. <laughs> <clears throat> he gets a taxi from Liverpool Street. He arrives and we're already 1-0 down because of yeah, that penalty. That seconds. still shouldn't be a penalty. Uh, I've never watched it back, man. And, and, uh, <laughs> And then, like, we watch the game. As soon as Origi scores, I put him in an Uber back to King's Cross. That train is cancelled. He has oh to walk to St Pancras. He gets on a train with, like, all these utterly shit-faced people. He gets back to Cambridge at, like, one in the morning. The taxi queue is a mile long. He walks home. So I basically tried to kill my own dad. But I've started my <laughs> writing career out of that, yeah. you know? No, and, he got, and it went viral and it was all so, picked so up, right. so good Has for it him. affected my family? Yes. It forced my dad to go to come to watch a football match he didn't want to watch with me that he definitely wouldn't have done if I hadn't written that article. Uh, but no, it hasn't really had On a really effect. dark front, had he died, then that would have allowed a third article. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, just some, uh, before we finish, just some kind of quick fire ones that we do, so kind of more pithy answers if possible. Yeah, sure. Um, what's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you because of being famous? Not the, not the girl's story? Is there anything else that you can think of? I mean, mm, that's a good question. I know you want it to be pithy, but I'm just trying to think. Well, you can wait. It, it can be pithy, but we you can, can, edit, we can do cut the edit, it, right? Cut it in, yeah. um, no, I want to get the right answer. I mean, short of going into another Champions League final, in, in like prawn sandwiches in a suit, it was United. Well, Man United were playing Barcelona, Barcelona yeah. and tripping up on a curb, surrounded by a thousand Man United fans, right? And they knew I was. <sighs> that was pretty she, yeah. she fell over presumably all of, that, all of that all of that but I just sat on the floor for ages going yeah you know what's happened Yeah, that's I'm a... sure there are more embarrassing but I can't remember them and uh, that's good what's the best thing about being famous Max um, the best thing 
Um, do you know what? It's it, actually the the level of fame that I have is I would say every other day, or probably not even, somebody stops me in the street to say, "I'm listening to the pod. I really like the pod." Um, almost never has anyone been rude to my face. Yeah, and I suppose that is just a really nice level of it. Like I can go around do my own business. No one cares. And if yeah. somebody does stop you, it's to say hi. Little bits Thanks. of affirmation. Little yeah. bits of affirmation. You know, I like what you do. And it's like my wife's a teacher. She does a much more important job, but no one stops her. In the street. She gets annoyed. Like, why doesn't someone stop me and go, <laughs> thanks for educating. The parents do, presumably. Nah, not always. You know? No, yeah. I guess that can swing both ways. Yeah. Um, and the worst thing about being famous, I mean, immediately what comes to mind, obviously, is, you know, you said to your face, people are always nice, but then on you know, when they've got the the big invisible barrier of Twitter, presumably they right. send their abuse over all the time. Death threats on Twitter. I mean, most of the death threats just are more like, I wish you were dead. Yeah. So what they're saying there is they're not actively going to come and kill me. They just hope something bad happens. So that's quite a passive thing. <laughs> um, to the, the level I have, I, I can't think of any real net negatives. What I genuinely think... That's nice. If this is a, if this is, you know, do you want to be famous type podcast that people... Your happiness is not dictated by that mm. at all mm. because uh, – and I genuinely think if you were incredibly famous, it would be virtually impossible to be happy unless you were so grounded. And I think – I've spent a lot of time with footballers and I think I'm pleased I wasn't one of them. Yeah. Also, I mean, that's a weird kind of fame because you reach your peak at 29 – now I may have peaked. My friends think I peaked about six, seven years ago. Right. I'm, you know, completely grey. Banter, completely grey. <laughs> Friendship banter. Yeah, completely grey for forty. Right, you know, like I'm on the way down. But I may peak at seventy. Um, but I, but it's not. You know, the the search for happiness is not related. I don't think to fame, if that's what it is. Is it to success? In that you're success, you're successful at what you do. You you earn a good living from it. Uh, it's lots of different things, isn't it? Happiness. What yeah. is happiness? Totally, you know, yeah. it's because people have different dispositions. Don't you? You're born like I'm mm. very glass half full. I I find life sort of funny. Yeah. So I think that I think my general happiness probably comes. I probably if I was an accountant, I'd probably be happy. Probably, yeah. I think. I don't. I mean, I don't know. Like if I'd made different choices in my life. Okay. Interesting. Um, you mentioned earlier. Uh, that you still have ambition and you still look on some other shows and things and think, I could do that, I wish I could do that. If if there could be one show, one thing, one TV thing... Yeah. Not the one show, no. <laughs> not the one show. <laughs> I'd take it in a heartbeat, but it's not, it's not uh, my but, dream. But the, but the dream, the dream show that you could do and it suits your personality and, and you see that, what what is that or what would that be? What could that be? I think I'd love a... I'd probably love a, you know... I'd probably love a big chat show. A talk show, yeah. Yeah. But not, but yeah, where you could be sitting, you know, I probably, you probably want to do the John Oliver, John Stewart stuff, but I'm probably not smart enough. Right. Yeah, but yeah. like, I, I like, I, I, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I don't imagine I'd do five minute soliloquies down the barrel. Yeah, monologue, opening monologues. No. But I think something like that, like an interview show where you could have fun. Yes. John Bishop does one, is it on W or somewhere where he, he literally just, it's just chair to chair talk show yeah maybe I could see you doing that okay good good answer and who's the most famous person in your phone Max oh that's a good question thank you we've had um, Ralph Little said Adele but he only got to the A's uh, in his phone and um, who else have we had 
Uh, I'm now trying to remember who we've even had on this podcast at this point. But anyway, have a look. Have a look. Yeah, and yeah. Then, like, I'm just turning my phone back on. I've been very, a, because very you're such a pro this. that you turned it off. I mean, it would be really unimpressive. That's good. Uh, ideal. And then uh, final question, knowing all that entails, I feel like I know the answer to this, but knowing all that it entails and with the benefit of hindsight, would you give up fame if you had the chance, but you still get to have the same life, same friends, same wife, same finances, oh. etc. but you, you never stopped on the street and you don't get any of the negative Twitter death threats and stuff, but uh, all the rest, would you give it up? Um, I just don't think I'm at a level where it would make any difference, really, any material difference. Probably not. Actually, like, you're ruining the format point of that question. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I probably wouldn't. Like, like, I wouldn't be doing this pod. I've had a nice time doing this. So, so The answer is no. no. I, I accept the it. The answer is no. Uh, I'm going to do my outro, and then at the end, the very end, you can tell me, because you're getting into your phone, who the most famous person in it is, or if you can find one. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Of course, you may plug anything you want that you're doing or that's um, coming up. I mean, I mean not in, not necessarily, but the Guardian Football Weekly yeah. is... Uh, uh, and they can find that on all your usual yeah, podcasts, yeah, outlets, yeah, Apple yeah. Podcasts, um, Spotify, etc. TalkSport, Saturdays 9 to 11, Sundays yeah. 11 to 1. I mean, I've just done 11 days straight because a lot of the other TalkSport presenters don't turn up for work. So right. if you switch that on, I'll uh, probably be on. Uh, definitely his weekend morning show with Barry Glendening is hilarious. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please do press that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or uh, leave us a comment and rate us. Uh, find us on Instagram at Almost Famous the Podcast and on Twitter at Pod Almost Famous. And now we're just list- literally waiting for one name to come out of Max Rushton's mobile phone. Do, do you want one, or do you want me to scroll through at the sort of I think, hilarious level of fame? I think if you want to, if you want to give some, if you want to give more than one name and, and show us your level, then we're definitely up for that. Okay, here we go. This is great for the uh, for the retention and engagement of this show because people are just going to be listening right to the end, Max, right to the very end. Alan Brazil, yeah. Alan McAnally, yeah. Alan Pardew, Alan Smith, the other Alan Smith. Okay, so Alex any, Horn. Any non-football based people? <clears throat> there we go. Alex Horn. Oh, yeah, Alex Horn's a good one. Okay. Uh, host of um, With Greg Davis. Uh, yeah, Taskmaster, brilliant Taskmaster, show. brilliant, the best show, in fact. Alistair Campbell. Oh, very good. A- Ali McCoy. We had Alistair Campbell's daughter on this show in the first series. Um, I'm enjoying that. I'm, I'm going to carry, I'm going to go through till Z. <laughs> this, and you is now just, a new, this is now a new format. Yeah. I'm going to uh, go through till Z and you can just fade out when you like. Cause I quite enjoy <laughs> I've never, uh, uh, Andy Cole, Andy Townsend, Asmir Begovic, John Barnes. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.